Today's reading is in the book of Proverbs. It's in the middle of the Bible, in your church Bible, page 634. It would, be, it would be great if you can help the one sitting next to you to find a new one. 634. Proverbs chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods, we shall fill our houses with thunder. Throw in your lot among us, we will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. For, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, Behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you, you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their running away, turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. This is the word of the Lord.
Yin Fan, thank you uh, for reading. Please do uh, keep your Bibles open, Proverbs 1. Uh, you might want uh, the handout as well, just a little idea where we'll be going. And uh, let's pray together. Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your trustworthy, true word. As we listen to you speak, please help us take refuge in Jesus, uh, to find safety uh, in him. Uh, we ask it in his name and for your glory. Amen. Uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? Do you remember what you said to that question? Maybe when you were a child, maybe you're still thinking you need to grow up. I guess most people answer with some kind of job, don't they? Firefighter, astronaut, doctor, and so on. Uh, maybe some people uh, say they want to be rich or happy or healthy. But how many say wise? Uh, when I grow up, I want to be wise. As uh, we've heard mentioned, we're beginning a new series this morning in this book of Proverbs, and it's all about wisdom. Uh, the book is clear. Wisdom isn't a kind of take it or leave it thing. Just listen to these words from chapter four. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. It is a vital, non-negotiable, isn't it? Uh, so do we just dive in and start doing what the book says? Uh, well, we should certainly want to be obedient to all God says, but I do think we need to tread a bit more cautiously. You see, right from the outset, it's clear, we are not the original target audience, though the whole Old Testament has been written down for our instruction. If you look at your handout, you'll see I've said Proverbs is about wisdom from a king for a coming king. That's our first big idea. Wisdom from a king for a coming king. And we see it really in verses 1 to 6. And now it's not rocket science to say Proverbs comes in the sweep of salvation history. There's a story going and it's got real people who lived in real places. So verse 1 makes it obvious for us. Now the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David... King of Israel. If we only know one thing about Solomon, it's probably his wisdom, isn't it? We were singing about it earlier. And so we read Solomon praying in 1 Kings chapter 3. Now, O Lord my God, you've made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you've chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? And it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. Now, what does Solomon want to be when he grows up? Wise. Or we could say it's not so much what you want to be when you grow up, but what do you want to be when you rule? And God gives him wisdom. Uh, but Solomon's not the one who put this book of Proverbs uh, together. So near the end of uh, Proverbs, we've got King Agur and King Lemuel. And at the beginning of chapter 5, we read this. These also are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, 
king of Judah, copied Hezekiah a king much later. Uh, So it's mostly original to Solomon. They're his words, but it's being compiled, put together well after his reign. It's a bit like a a collector of comic books has has put together their edited favourite volumes out on display. Most of them might be by the same author, but there are some others in the mix. And the collector has put them all on display to make one big point, maybe as an exhibition on a theme. And so it's worth remembering Proverbs has been put together after Solomon has failed. Yes, he was wise for a bit, but then the wheels came off with marrying foreign women after foreign, foreign women. And just so we clear, that is women who worshipped foreign gods. That's why it was such a disaster. He wasn't wise when he grew up. In fact, none of the kings were perfectly wise. They all had major flaws and failings. We can read through the Bible and see it. David failed. Solomon failed. Rehoboam failed. Skip on a bit. Even Hezekiah failed. And what they failed in doing was living out the law. In Deuteronomy 17, the king was not to acquire many wives or excessive silver and gold. Now, what they were to do was this. When he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him. And he shall read in it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Uh, So the king, right from the outset, was meant to be a kind of model Israelite. And doesn't it chime with Proverbs 1? Just look at verse uh, 2 with me again. Here's Solomon's purpose. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. It's for those just starting out, verse 4, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. And it's for the experienced veteran, verse 5. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. All ages, all stages need to hear what Solomon has to say. We all need wisdom, but you need wisdom especially for ruling. Or to put it another way, the person who really, really needs to be wise is God's king. I was reading just this week how Catherine Parr, Henry VIII's uh, sixth and final wife, uh, published uh, a book on the Psalms. I didn't know that. Um, And historians have recently discovered jottings in uh, the margin of one of her copies made by the king. It's like a kind of Tudor highlighter. And the things Henry highlights are fascinating. Take away thy plagues, turn away thine anger, is one of the lines he's he's highlighted, he's marked. He seems to know he needs forgiveness, but history is somewhat more silent on whether he found it in Jesus. But it reminded me of Proverbs. Everyone needs wisdom, but the person who above all others needs it is the king. When the king rules wisely, everyone benefits. 
And just in case you're thinking, uh, you think I'm making a mountain out of a molehill, it helps to know the terms in verse 3, righteousness, justice, and equity. They are kingly, uh, ruling words. We've just finished a series in Isaiah. Isaiah 11, we hear about a coming king. Here's what we read. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And then verse 4, Isaiah 11, with righteousness he shall judge or administer justice for the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Righteousness, justice, equity. Very like Proverbs 1, isn't it? Righteousness, justice, and equity needed to rule. So when we begin reading Proverbs, what we're reading is a king's instruction to one who will be king. It's passing on or or pointing to wisdom. Wisdom includes right and wrong, but it's also about the stuff in between, that the harder stuff to figure out, what's wise, what's foolish. It's knowing how to navigate life. Proverbs require work to figure them out. Did we spot that in verse 6? They need understanding. They can even come in riddles. As we read through this book, we'll need to work at Proverbs. They're often short ways of describing how life works. But their purpose here isn't a to-do list, nor a rule book, nor a manual on manners. Wisdom isn't ultimately about the good life in the here and now. No, supremely wisdom is founded on the fear of the Lord. It's our second big theme this morning, and it's uh, there in verse 7 for us. Wisdom founded on the fear of the Lord. Verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Uh, what do you want to be when you grow up is a much better question than what do you want to do? Uh, because how we live flows out of who we are. And the core of wisdom isn't a rule for life, but a relationship of love. Now, the idea of beginning in verse 7 isn't saying it's something you then move on from. No, it's more like the center, the foundation, the first building block on which everything else rests is the fear of the Lord. Wisdom is all about fear of the Lord. It's going to come again in uh, chapter 9, verse 10, at the end of this uh, opening section in chapters 1 to 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And so, of course, it begs the question, what exactly is fear of the Lord? Uh, People rush to say what it's not. It's not cowering terror of God, and that's helpful insofar as it goes. But it still doesn't say what it is. Uh, Fear of the Lord in the Bible is often very close, sometimes synonymous with loving the Lord. It is a wholehearted, all-of-life response to a correct understanding of who God is. It is a subjective response to an objective revelation. It is humble, joyful obedience to an infinitely holy, infinitely loving God. We, We might call it affectionate reverence. I think that works for now, affectionate reverence. And it's what we never move on from in the Christian life. It might be we're sitting here today as a visitor or we're not quite sure where we stand with Jesus. 
Well, here is the first step, and actually every step, fearing him, trusting him, bowing the knee to him, handing over the reins of our life to him, loving him. It is the most wise thing anyone can ever do. And it means wisdom is fundamentally relational. It is no good learning all the Proverbs and having no fear of the Lord. In fact, we we can't do any of the Proverbs without a fear of the Lord. It also means wisdom is emotional. Uh, Hebrew poetry often uses parallelism, one line being unpacked or explained or mirrored uh, by the second line. And we get it in verse 7. So it means uh, fearing the Lord uh, must look like the opposite of despising wisdom, like the fools. It means embracing, prizing, adoring the Lord. That is at the heart of wisdom. Uh, So often people come to this book of Proverbs as if it's the equivalent of Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life, a kind of ancient guide to living well. Uh, But really, wisdom isn't about knowing stuff. It's about knowing someone, the one. It's relating to God rightly. And it's knowing God as the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. It's not just any God, it's the Lord. It's Yahweh, the one true God of the Bible revealed in Jesus Christ. And it's relating to him rightly, fearing him. And again, crucially, this is super necessary for the king. Again, Isaiah chapter 11, this time verse 3. Speaking of the coming king, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Verse 7 is what we need in a king. Solomon isn't teaching his son how to have his best life now. He is preparing him for kingship, to rule. The king of Israel was to be the primary covenant keeper. By his example, he was to lead Israel in God's people, keeping the covenant. The king of God's people needed to live out the fear of the Lord. Uh, But it makes our third theme all the more sobering. Uh, Finally this morning, verses 8 to 33, we'll move a bit more quickly here. Wisdom is required but refused. Uh, Required but refused. Here's what the father and mother have to say to the son. We begin with a parental plea in verses 8 to 19. Verse 8, hear my son, your father's instruction And forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. And what follows is essentially a warning against making easy money through unjust means. Verse 10, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason like shale. Let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They said an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. It's interesting that the book begins by essentially saying not to make money the end goal. And yet book after book about Proverbs 
seems to say the exact opposite. Just the other day, I came across um, a book on Proverbs with the title, The Richest Man Who Ever Lived, King Solomon's Secrets to Success, Wealth, and Happiness. Now, I've not read the book, but I did go onto Amazon and I read the blurb. It says, the author reveals Solomon's key for winning every race, explains how to resolve conflicts and turn enemies into allies, and discloses the five qualities essential to becoming a valued and admired person at work and in your personal life. Uh, the author illustrates each of Solomon's insights and strategies with anecdotes about his personal successes and failures. At once inspiring and instructive, the richest man who ever lives weaves the timeless truths of one of our greatest works of literature into a detailed roadmap for successful living today. Now, you're all going to go and rush and buy. Now, don't. That the only problem is, it isn't what the book of Proverbs says. I mean, just, just think about it. What does Solomon's son... Rehoboam get wrong. He refuses to listen to the counsel of the older wise men who stood before his father Solomon and instead he listens to the counsel of the young men and it is folly. Uh, So I think this parental plea, this appeal is doing more than saying uh, don't join a gang. I mean that is sensible advice, don't join a gang, but it is a little lightweight isn't it? Most of verses 8 to 19, if you look down, do you see that they're describing the way of the wicked and it ends on a downbeat, doesn't it? Verse 19. And I think we're meant to notice that because it's similar to what comes next in verses 20 to 33 and the wisdom warning. The wisdom warning. For the first time in the book, we're introduced to the voice of Lady Wisdom. She's going to appear again and again. And now we move from the home to the marketplace, verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. And what does she cry out? How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Ah, But here's the curveball. How have people responded to wisdom? What is the natural response to this incredible offer from Lady Wisdom? Verse 24. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you've ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I'll mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. As we work our way through Proverbs, we'll see more and more how beautiful, how essential, how necessary wisdom is. But people haven't listened, have they? Wisdom is required... But now we discover she's refused, she's rejected. 
Let's just look at verse 29 again. That they, they hated knowledge. They don't choose the fear of the Lord. It's the opposite of verse 7, isn't it? I wonder if at the outset of this book, we're being shown how to read it. And the lesson up front is we're not naturally wise and we don't naturally choose wisdom. No one's default is to fear the Lord. We might have spotted how this section sounds a lot like Psalm 1 in places. We've got two competing voices. We've got walking in the way. We've got people's counsel. We've got perishing. We've got fruit and so on. So before it is an appeal to the everyman, it is an appeal to the man, to the king. But Proverbs 1 feels a lot more ropey than Psalm 1. It sounds much more like a warning. Now, most people are naturally wise in their own eyes, and Proverbs knows this. You see, Israel's kings failed again and again and again. And, and it leads to this increasing, growing hope for a wise king one day in the future. And Proverbs, I think, shows us we need someone better than Solomon. I think that's where Proverbs is pointing us. And wonderfully, it's exactly what Jesus fulfills. So Matthew 12, verse 42. Uh, the queen of the south, that's the queen of Sheba, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, says Jesus, something greater than Solomon is here. And Jesus is the spirit-anointed son. He is the true king who is wiser than Solomon. And not only does he teach wisdom, he actually lives it out. And through his death and by his spirit, he enables and equips his followers to do so as well. Uh, so the New Testament can apply Proverbs uh, straight to the Christian, places like Romans 12.20 or Hebrews 12.5 and 6, not because we're under the law, but because we're in Christ. We have the mind of Christ if we're trusting in him. We have his mind, that the truly wise king, and so we can now live wisely. We can actually fear the Lord rightly. So Proverbs becomes a book for us only in and through Jesus. Uh, so please don't bin your Proverbs wall calendar, that mug with chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 on. Uh, Claire was telling me not to kind of mention this bit. Please don't bin your kind of Proverbs wall art. But do remember, it is only possible in and through and because of Jesus. Now, Proverbs reminds us that left to ourselves, we would never choose the path of wisdom. Wonderfully, though, God has set a king on his throne who always walked the path of wisdom in our place. And by his spirit, we can choose wisdom as we now look to Jesus. At whatever our view of our current government, we know the beauty of a ruler leading their people wisely and well. Just, just imagine, even in this world, a leader who always makes the right decision, who is always for their people, who can see the depths and intricacies of every situation and personal circumstances and even into people's hearts. At verse 3, someone who is righteous, who lovingly puts the welfare of others above their own. Someone who is just, who knows right from wrong and has the power to bring about justice. A leader who is equitable, 
There's no hypocrisy. Their life is one of complete integrity. It all matches up. What, what, what would life be like under a wise king like that? Perhaps we noticed how we find safety in wisdom. It's how chapter 1 ends. But chapter 1 shows us wisdom isn't to be found in ourselves. The voice of wisdom is external to us. We need to look outside ourselves. And we look to Jesus, the one who embodies and embraces wisdom. The first step, every step in wisdom, is trusting Jesus. That's what it looks like to fear the Lord, verse 7. Every step in wisdom is found walking each day with Jesus, getting to know him better and better. For as we read in Colossians 2, verse 3, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There is nothing outside of Jesus we need. Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 24, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be wise is a good answer. I want to be found in Jesus, the only wise king, and receive wisdom in him is an even better answer. Let's pray together. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Father God, we acknowledge and lament the fact that naturally we are fools. We we don't want to listen to wisdom. We don't think we need your instruction. But thank you for King Jesus. Thank you that he always lived out the fear of the Lord. Thank you that he rules with righteousness, justice and equity. And thank you that because of his death and by his spirit, we can be wise in him. Help us to embrace wisdom as we look to Jesus. Would we be those who in Jesus dwell secure, that we don't have dread of disaster, not because of ourselves, but because of him. In Jesus' name and for your glory we pray. Amen.